As Katie said, we hope you've had a chance to think with us about the fact that if you choose to put your faith in Christ, someday you will have a test of that faith. You, it is not if, it is when you have your inevitable faith crisis. And uh, so today is so important, I decided to give you buy one, get one free. I'm going to do two sermons in one. <laughs> we're going to be out of here by about noon, I swear. I really, I swear. But we're going to do two. So about a year ago, I started working on what, what is... Uh, what, what does a prevailing faith look like? And for me, you know, I, I'm a preacher, so I think in threes and, and uh, I think in patterns and stuff. And I begin to think about, okay, what, what, what is a prevailing faith that is worth living, endures hardship, and is not the same person five years from now as they are today? What, what does that look like? And here's what I've been developing last year. So this is just real preliminary, but I've been looking at this concept of math, music, and movement. And the whole idea of this is, is the math part of our faith journey is that objective certainty part. It is, it is that part that we would call structures. The, the things that we rely on that are not going to change. They're certain. And every faith needs this. Every faith needs some level of basis for faith and objectivity. Let's take an example. Two plus two equals four. How many of you believe in that? Raise your hand if you believe that's true. Okay? You do. How many of you believe that because you know you need to know it for a, a math test someday, an arithmetic test? No, that's not why you believe in that. Why? It's reality. So if tonight you get a hankering for a half gallon of Grater's chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream and you scrounge through your change box for enough money to go through Kroger and grab your chocolate chip cookie dough, but, but you believe two plus two equals six, it's not going to work. You don't believe that certainty because you know you're going to get tested on it someday. You believe it because you're aligning with reality. Try living life not believing two plus two equals four. You can, you can believe it, you can, but it's not going to work. And everybody, everybody, everybody needs structures. We, for some of us, this is where my faith started. And I'm going to show you how each one of us has, of these three, we have one that we really lean into naturally. And this one's mine. This one's mine. And, and, and so if you get to say, oh, I want to I be mentored by someone in my faith, we actually use mathematical geometric shapes to help you begin the basis for the up, in, and out life or the God identity obedience life, the leadership square, the learning circle. We, we actually use some of these objective realities about the world to say here's where your faith can move, start, and grow. And look at this. This is so important. Let's say how many of you believe in the Trinity? When you say, well, yeah, I believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I repeated the creeds at my first communion. I, da, 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 I believe in it. But how many of you live aligned with the reality that the, that the most definitive reality in this world is a non-contingent being of three personhoods that live in this constant flow of grace and love and goodness if you really believe that to where you align your life with it, you won't be some bitter old Christian because that's, that's not possible if you've aligned yourself with the Trinity. This is not possible. You can't hold on to grudges. You can't be an old angry fart 
running around a church someday. You can't be that. Why? It's because to live the Trinity life is way beyond. Oh, yeah, I believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No, it's, it's way beyond that. You're aligning yourself two plus two equals four. What's the music part? Well, the music part is that part that is not objective. It's subjective. This is what we would call story. Jesus said, for example, you will know reality, and that reality will set you free, 2 plus 2 equals 4. But he also said, let those who hear really hear. And when he said this, he wasn't talking about, make sure you have the gunk cleaned out of your ears. He was saying, listen with your soul. And here's the thing about a prevailing faith. It also has this part of it that hears the gospel with the soul. That hears the music, hears the jazz of the gospel. Here's the rhythm of the gospel. Here's the blending of the chords of the gospel that suffering is redemptive. That pain leads to power. And this is, this is an amazing thing because really prevailing people have these subjective memories of their faith journey that is the big story. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is just a story of God bringing us to him into Trinity. We are the fourth now in the Trinity, and then our stories blending in together within that story. And this is why you won't grow if your story doesn't become a part of the big story and other people's stories, because that's where you hear the music. That's where you hear about, oh my gosh, I've been diagnosed with cancer, but I know my friend who was diagnosed with that and walked through that with faith and resolve and joy. That's a person who not only understands two plus two equals four, they've seen and heard the music. The things that can't be measured that say because of the story and the stories I know, uh, I'm gonna keep listening, but not with my ears, with my soul. And every prevailing faith has this element to it. The, the third one is what I call movement. And that is every prevailing faith is not inert. And we have here a picture, if you can see it, of someone in motion, but next to the towel and the basin. That movement is that idea that in serving, always serving, always being a means of what Jesus said, I have come that the kingdom of heaven may come to earth. That this person sees their life, everything they do is to bring heaven to earth by serving the way Christ served, serving for Christ and to Christ. And so you'll never see a person with a fully formed, growing faith who does not have some aspect of their life that is intentional about bringing heaven to earth. You'll never, I've never seen it. And so around here, these are the elements of faith. Around here, we have these things that we call the five S's that are the practice of faith. And under this one is where you learn that scripture is an essential objective input into your life. Solitude and uh, support are where you hear the story from God and the story of other people. And significant events and service are where you begin to integrate the movement of God into your movement in your life. And we, I really believe this, that every one of you has something that you'll naturally lean, lean into. And really all you have to do is make sure that you're balancing your walk and your journey with Christ with the other two. Uh, if, if you are, I know people who they go to Bible studies on days that end in Y. I mean, they can't get enough Bible study. They are so certain that they're annoying because they're certain, but they don't have a heart that's soft and warm. 
They don't, they don't, and we've had people who've been in Bible studies and they never serve. It's like, what's the point? What's the point? Or we have people who, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives where? Within my heart. Well, what's the reason for your faith? Well, I don't have any reason. I just believe with my heart. Well, there's going to come a day you're going to face a faith crisis and you're going to need some objective anchoring and basis for your faith because you're not always going to feel it. And then for some people that they just serve. And these are in the people who end up being bitter because not everybody's serving like they serve. Not everybody's doing their, their end of the bargain like they're doing. And, and so this person right here, they need some objective inputs. They also need to, to start hearing the music, man. Start hearing the music and the beauty and the grace of rhythms and chords of the gospel. Now, how, why do I say that? It's because of this. Because I believe that this journey right here is worth it. I told you that this is my 40th anniversary of, of surrendering to Christ. When I was a second year in college, 1982. I was 10. And, and I, I, this is my 40th anniversary of that. And what I would tell you is this. I started here and then I went to Bible college, which takes years to recover from. Because you think you have all the answers and that's all you need. And then I said, Lord, I need to be compassionate because this is not a good idea to be in ministry and not care about people. That's probably not a good thing. And God's answered that. And, and to un I understood serving because I grew up in a military family. I understood what it meant to give your life to a cause and a mission. But I, but I really needed to really grow in hearing the quote-unquote music of the gospel. And the reason I say this is because this has been worth it. This journey for me, as, as many people who are around you right now would say, they've been, it's been worth it. Why? Why? Don't you have enough in life without worrying about your faith journey? Isn't there enough in the here and now that should occupy you so you don't have time to think about the by and by? Well, I think it is. And that's the end of sermon number one, Okay. <laughs> Now to sermon number two. And here it is. I thought, let's end this by looking at every single one of us through this lens and saying, okay, if I venture into investing these five practices so that I can grow in all three elements, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I'll tell it to you this way in one verse of Scripture. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the Apostle Paul is in prison. He knows he's about to die soon. And he says these words that contrasted with a culture that we're living in right now are amazingly powerful. They are words that make this journey worth it. He says, I don't know if I'm going to die right now or not, but I'll tell you this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a no lose. <laughs> if I die, I'm going, I'm going to be with him forever. But if I live, I'm going to live a fruitful life for him. There's a no-lose in this equation. And I thought of those words a lot this week because we live in a culture that is so despairing. We, we live in a culture that's doing all this. I mean, if we weren't a performance-based culture, there would be no such thing as player's box. We wouldn't need that. But we live in this culture that's just destroying kids and destroying people. Why? Because it's a performance-based culture with no real end to it. 
As one of uh, the mothers in our church used to call the, the whole youth sports thing, the road to nowhere. <laughs> it's the road to nowhere. And it is. Like, what's, what's the point of all this? But in Christ, I have some objective. I know where I've come from. I know where I'm going. There's a beauty to life now that even in pain, I can hear the music. I can hear the music. <laughs> I got to say this. I forgot to say this earlier. But Thursday night is, is Gunner, Grams, and Gramps night. So we have Gunner on Thursday nights, and we just we always do something together. He's our 10-year-old grandson. And so Thursday night, we had watched an episode of Superman and Lois, and it was, it was pretty intense. And then we watched an episode of something else. Camera was, but it was pretty intense. And after the two of those, Gunner goes, oh, I think I'm going to need something kind of light. <laughs> Meaning, I'm going to have nightmares if you don't, people don't give me something that my brain gets occupied around. And Sherry goes, brilliant. Sherry goes, Gunner, have you ever heard of Gilligan's Island? <laughs> now, have you never heard of Gilligan's Island? On the lightness scale, it's way over there, okay? Uh, this, is, this is the tale of a fateful trip, right? And, and these people amazingly crammed all these things into this little boat that, that when they crashed on Gilligan's Island, it lasted. Well, so we watched an episode or two of Gilligan's Island, and it is so stupid. It is so, it is so funny that now I say, and Sherry says, Gunner, did you like Gilligan's Island? And he said, oh, I loved it. I love it. And so I'm recording. Right now I have 10 recordings of Gilligan's Island. It's on, and if you get did, uh, DirecTV, it's on 239 on Tuesday nights. You can, you can record it. So I sat there. I said, I said Gunnar, did you know? I, I remember where I was in eighth grade, like Sunday school, and somebody said, did you know that you can sing Amazing Grace to the tune of Gilligan's Island? Did you know that? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. It's amazing. It's amazing. I digress, but the last three days, I've had the tune of Gilligan's Island to Amazing Grace in my head. And now you will too, you people. You are going to be singing Amazing Grace to the tune of Gilligan's Island. And, the, and here's, the, here's the thing about that is when my life has gotten dark, these, you know, you know, music is just mathematical equations. And so these things begin to play out, and there's a book in the Bible that is all about certainty, beauty, and why it all matters. There is a book in the Bible that is a faith crisis book. It, the whole thing is written by a person having a faith crisis. And a lot of people think it shouldn't be in the Bible. It's that raw and honest. And you probably know what I'm talking about. It's the book of Ecclesiastes by Solomon. It is the journal of a cynic. It is the journal of someone who has lost their faith. Let me, let me do something this week. You, I'm going to give you a prime overview of it so that this week you can read it for yourself. All, when you read it, all you have to do is know three things. Pessimism, pursuits, and purpose. Because in the book of Ecclesiastes, this, it's the word the preacher is, is what it means, we get an element of his absolute pessimism and cynicism. This guy has lost his faith. But you get also 
the highs that he pursued so that he could numb the pain of that despair and meaninglessness. Until one day, as he's written the end of this, he concludes with, here's the whole purpose of humanity. Here's the why. Stephen Hawking, when he finished his best-selling book, A Brief uh, Explanation of History, a, a Brief History of Time, he said, we know the what and we know the how of this universe. Now, if we only knew the why, we could have the mind of God. And Jesus is the why. He said, now you know me, you know, you know the why. You know the Father, you know me. You know what life is all about. And this is so powerful because without these elements rooted in Christ in your life, your accomplishments will mean nothing. Someday, they'll mean nothing. I was always reminded of, of this. When you think about Solomon's pessimism, is just how uh, Solomon, if your party was too happy, you would bring him in. That's what this book is about. He's like, you bring him in to just dampen down the happiness at your, at your family gatherings, which I doubt if many of you have family gatherings that are so happy you need to dampen them you know, down the happiness. But someone, you ever seen this? Someone wrote the... the, the, the uh, answer to all these inspirational quotes. I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. And a foundation leaks, and a ball game gets rained out, and a car rusts. Follow your dream, unless it's the one where you're at work in your underwear during a fire drill. Love is like a roller coaster. When it's good, you don't want to get off, and when it isn't, you can't wait to throw up. And every life, some rain must fall, usually when your car windows are down. Always take time to stop and smell the roses, and sooner or later, you'll inhale a bee. And this is, this is so, like Solomon would read that. That's exactly how Ecclesiastes reads. He, re, he, he is so pessimistic. L listen to a few of these, his words. Chapter 1, verse 5. The sun rises in the morning and goes across the sky and sets at night, but when it comes to the cycle, the same day, and then the same day, and the same day. Chapter 1, verse 4, generations come and generations go, but only the earth remains forever. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. So his pessimism is that what's the point? Every day you get up to the, in the same old bed and you smile at the same old person and you get up and you take the same old coffee and you, and you go to the same old job to earn the same old paycheck so you can pay for the same old house so you can go to bed at night with the same old person and get up in the morning. What's the point? And he's, he, that's where he is. He's like, the sun rises, the sun sets. I get up each morning and dust off my wits. I pick up the paper and read the obits. If my name's not there, I know I'm not dead, so I eat a good breakfast and go back to bed. This is Solomon <laughs> right there. It's Solomon. Like, what's the, what's the point? After a while, well, then you got to get another house. Then you got to get another spouse. And you got to get, a, you know, you, like it keeps going. It's like, this is, this is. And so then he goes into his pursuits. He's so pessimistic. He goes, I'll solve this. And what he did, he went into pursuit of three things. Intellectualism, hedonism, and materialism. Read it. That's what he did. He goes, first of all, I will be the smartest person in the world. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. When you read the book of 1 Kings, you see that he invested in understanding botany and biology and literature and music and zoology. All these pursuits of intellectualism. Because he bought into the idea that I know what will solve my, my despair, education. Now, it's really interesting because in America, we're told education is the key to everything. And there's a sense in which that's true. 
And we could cure so many things that ail us in this country if we, we could just somehow educate more people better. But there's an end to that. And have you ever known any well-educated psychopaths? <laughs> Education is not the cure-all, is it? Because while it's, on the one hand, an essential, we also know there are people who are very well-educated, and we wouldn't trust them to lead our lives on a tour around Disney World. <laughs> Correct? I think some of them are actually leading Disney World right now. They're running Disney World right now. That's a whole other story. But uh, th there's, there's this idea that, that I'll pursue knowledge because that'll, that'll, that'll be it. If I just know enough and I can figure out enough of the universe, that will solve. Well, it will. It'll solve the, the what and the how. But science and math and all that will never solve the why. Why? What's the purpose? And so he said, I sought that. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, though, and all of them are meaningless to chasing after the wind. He says that 40, uh, 37 times in this book. Meaningless, meaningless. Vanity, vanity. Smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. Edu intellectualism didn't do it for me. Then he pursued hedonism. After he discovered that with much wisdom comes much sorrow, he said, I thought in my heart, chapter 2, verse 1, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless because with pleasure there's an increased appetite and diminishing return. I, I enjoy chocolate more than ever I have in my life. You know why? Because I can't eat it much. Used to, I could eat as much as I wanted. It was wonderful. And then I turned about 45. And that changed. And... What you find with pleasure is, is the more you inhibit it, actually the more pleasurable things are. But so, no, no, that's, that's not the way our culture, that's not the way Solomon thought. He thought, I'm going to go on a hedonistic rampage. Chapter 2, verse 3, he became an expert in wine. <laughs> that was code for functional alcoholic. <laughs> um, he had a thousand women around the palace. I mean, that's Wilt Chamberlain level, right? I mean, that's, what, how many do you need? Chapter 2, verse 10, I denied myself nothing, my eyes desired, I refused my heart, no pleasure, and when I surveyed all this, it was meaningless. To take it from me, go down that hedonistic path. There was an article in like Parade Magazine, uh, the, the Sunday thing that we have in the paper, about Woody Harrelson, uh, Woody's an 11 graduate, Woody's wacky and proud of it. And he said, we all take drugs. Everybody I know is a drug addict of some kind. How else could we live on this planet in its present condition? It's either pot or coffee or sugar or booze or sex. There are all kinds of ways to take emotional refuge. Well, that's Solomon. And it's just it's true. If, if there's no why, I'm going to get high. That's, that's, that's how you deal with stuff. It's not a mystery at all to me why this culture is like, what can we make legal? <laughs> because Why? We don't know how to deal with reality because there's no point to reality. You know, we're just playing around on the Titanic and rearranging the furniture. But we're going to hit an iceberg really soon. And then what? Then you're going to sink. And, and, and Kate Winslet's not going to scooch over a little bit so you can actually get on the raft with her. Why didn't she do that? Did everyone do that? Why didn't she make room for Leonardo? 
He says in chapter 3, verse 1, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the sun, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. That means there's a time for pleasure. Is everybody hear me? It's like education. Solomon believed in the importance of education. There's a time for that, but it's not the end all be all. There's a time for laughter. There's a time for pleasure. And, 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 but when that diversion becomes an obsession and all your life is about getting to the weekend, getting to the weekend, getting to the weekend, you get to the end of your life and you realize... I missed my life. I was watching this documentary on one of the channels a while back about Richard Pryor. Some of you may not know who he was. I think he's the funniest human being who has ever walked the planet Earth. I mean, if you don't know him, Richard Pryor was just like, watch Car Wash. I don't know. I mean, I watched it when I was in high school, so there's probably stuff in it that I thought, wouldn't thought of in high school as being as inappropriate, so I didn't advise you to watch it, but I'm telling you, it is so funny. And at one time, he was the funniest person in America, for sure, which is really ironic when you know this about what the documentary said about Richard Pryor. In the 50s, he shot a fellow soldier in Germany. In the 60s, he assaulted a motel clerk. In the 70s, he threatened his fourth wife. In the 80s, he nearly died from third-degree burns that he suffered while trying to freebase cocaine. This is the guy we paid to make us laugh. Welcome to America. You ever hear the old story of the guy who goes into the psychiatrist and he says, I'm so despairing. Life is just, what's the point? And the psychiatrist, an old story, the psychiatrist looks at him and he says, hey, listen, listen, I know what will cure your despair. There's a circus in town, and there's a clown there that is hilarious, and he will make you laugh to the degree that you forget your despair. And the guy said, Doc, I am that clown. And here's this country. I mean, we are so, we are so big on the diversion to pleasure. And we are the clown. We are the person. Chapter 2, verse 2, Solomon says, Laughter is at the end foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? He says in chapter 7, Wisdom is found in the house of mourning, not in the house of laughter. Hmm. You want to see wisdom for life? Go to a funeral, not a comedy club. And this is a guy who enjoyed laughter. He enjoyed the joy of laughter, but he said, If that's your pursuit in life, is just to numb your pain by trying to laugh all the time, good luck. There's a classic book written on this about Rome and its comparison to America. Years ago, a guy by the name of Ethelbert Stouffer wrote a book called Christ and the Caesars. It is a fascinating treatment of Rome's pursuit of pleasure, and that's what ended up bringing it down because it morally weakened it from within. Sound like anybody you know? And he compared our addiction to pleasure and Rome's addiction to pleasure to the effect of the Sardonian root which is a poisonous plant that forces a convulsive smile across the face of the dying. You remember that scene at the end of the Batman movie with Michael Keaton where the Joker's forced smile and there's this ha, 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 And he said, this, this is where America is heading. We are, we are not an exemption from that. We are so in pursuit of what makes my life pleasurable that we have the forced smile of the dying. 
So that didn't work. So then he pursued materialism. Chapter 2, verse 4. I undertook great projects because I saw the vanity of laughter and pleasure. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female servants and had other servants who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and princes. Just, just fill it in. Like I got the degrees. I got the house. I got the car. I... I pursued everything money can buy. Do you know that it's estimated in today's dollar, dollars, Solomon was worth $2.1 trillion in comparison to the rest of his world. Chapter 5, verse 10, though, he said, I've learned that whoever has money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. If, you, if, you, if, if money, if just money, not this journey, if money is going to make you happy. Uh, Carnegie was once asked, what does it take to make a man happy? What is it? Remember what he said? Just $1 more. Just $1 more. If that's what it takes to make you happy, Solomon says, good luck with that. Why? Two reasons, he says. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. That's one thing. The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he's little or much, but the abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. The, 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 that is, the guy who works at the factory doesn't worry as much as the guy who actually owns the factory. Correct? It's just the way it works. It's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just the, the way it is. Number two, death takes it all away. Chapter 5, verse 15. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This, too, is a grievous evil. He even goes on to say, why accumulate all this when you're going to pass it on to your kids? And the implication is they're just going to fight about it. Correct? That's why uh, Henny Youngman, the old comedian, used to say, may the last check bounce. Why? Because death's going to take it all away anyway, correct? You accumulate all this stuff, and the monopoly game's over, and all goes where? Back in the box. And it's only when you come to the last chapter to where he finally gives his conclusion, his purpose, as to why the answer to this question, why bother with faith, is Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of, of knowledge and wisdom. He is the fulfillment of the mystery of God that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now exposed to believers, revealed to us. Solomon gets to the end. and Look at what he says. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 on the screens. He said, here's the conclusion of the matter. Remember. And the word there is remember and keep remembering and keep remembering and keep remembering. Not a one-time remembering, but your life is about orienting. He is here. He is present. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. H.G. Wells once said, until a person has found God, they begin at no beginning and they end at no end. Solomon says the key to this is to anchor yourself in a reality of God so deeply that when you have the same crisis of faith that I've had, your life is rooted in something transcendently strong, eternal. The, 
the illustration you've heard me give many times is a tightrope walker who's about to walk across Niagara Falls. And before he goes across Niagara Falls as a tightrope walker, they say, now we just wanted to let you know that it's not really tied very well at the other end. <laughs> and it's really not really connected very well at this end, but enjoy the trip. Well, what our culture does is it sends out students into college and says, well, we don't know where you came from, and we don't know where you're going. We think that you're the, the latest model of the ape, and we think that you're just food for worms when you die, but, but enjoy getting those degrees. Enjoy that, because it's really going to mean something for a little while. And it's no wonder, I don't know where her faith was, but that softball player at South Carolina... University of South Carolina last week who said player of the week in my conference not enough not enough she ended it I don't know where her faith was I know where her despair was it was enough to say I'm I'm not sure this whole journey's worth it and without a sense of origination and destination, the trip in the middle is not going to make a lot of sense. It's going to need a lot of explanation. You know, give your best version of your best you. If, great. If you're on the Titanic, we're going to hit an iceberg in a few minutes. And my best version of myself is not going to mean anything. What's going to matter is, do I, can, I, can I be strong enough to get a raft, to, to, get, to get that survival? And so that's why in our culture right now, you see this, this, this absolute sense of uh, a lack of origination. Like, I know where I come from. It's rooted in a reality. In the beginning, he made them male and he made them female. This is, this is your point of origination. You're a beloved child of the Most High God with supreme value and worth, just as you are today. And, and we, it, needs, it needs a sense of, of destination that death doesn't end at all. Because I live, you will live also. And if you live and believe in me, you'll never really die. It'll be like falling asleep and waking up in your father's house. That changes everything, doesn't it? That's, that means that with this sense that life has meaning now, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> I mean, it's like, this is, I'm not afraid to die because, man, don't weep for me. But in the meantime, every day's an adventure. Every day, even in pain, there's music. And for me, as 40 years ago, I just fell on my knees in my parents' basement with my German Shepherd dog hair everywhere and just said, Lord, I don't understand the point, but if you will use me, I am yours. I'm yours. And for me, as many people in this room, we've experienced not only our sense of origination, our sense of destination, but now, for me, life is so meaningful, I can't handle sometimes how meaningful it is. It, there, there, is there is a richness with Christ that I'll tell you 40 years into my math, music, and movement journey, it's worth it. I'm not afraid to die, but I don't want to die. I want to live. The reason I can't sleep at night is I can't wait to get up the next day. <laughs> I never thought I'd be that person. 
I never thought I'd be that person. Because I, I look forward to what's going on. And my body doesn't produce happy chemicals. I have to work on this. It doesn't. My body is diagnosed. I, I don't produce happiness. I can be a downer. Man, I, mean, I, can, I can be a downer. And this is, it's not because I'm special. It's because he said this. He said this. Look at this. John 10. John 10, 10. He said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. And I would say to you students right now, this world tells you, yeah, 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 all that God stuff. Live your life. Do what you want. And there'll be time for God in the end. And Sodom says, no. No. That's a journey of intellectualism, hedonism, and materialism. It is a dead end. Right now. You surrender your life to Christ right now. Don't wait. Don't wait. You can't sow your wild oats and pray for a crop failure, by the way. You reap what you sow. And there's no need to do that. I thank God that I was 20 years of age when he finally forced me to my knees. And for some reason, I surrendered. Maybe it was because amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Maybe it was that. I don't know what it was. But here it is. This, look at the screens again, John 10.10. 10. That produces I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. It doesn't say I've come that they might have life and have it easy. I've come that they might have life and have just joy all the time. Joy, 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 joy down in my heart. I know, I know, that's what it says. What he promises is your life won't be thin. It won't be shallow. When cancer hits and bankruptcy hits and divorce hits, you won't just say Why? You'll say, what, God, what, what, what can be done redeeming this cross in my life? And you'll discover the certainties of Christ. You'll discover the music of Christ. And your pain will be redeemed into a movement through you that you would have never, 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 never dreamed that he could do through you. My dear, dear brother, Dave Sharp is here this morning, as he always is. He and Diane sit over there. A number of years ago, this healthy, strong, jumped out of airplanes in, when he was serving our country, paratrooper, was told he had cancer in his throat. Treatment nearly burned his throat out. And he was so cared for in that journey that he didn't say, why God? What's the point? He said, Here, what, God? Oh, you want me to start a thing called Cancer Hope that makes sure that no one ever goes through cancer by himself. And that's rich, isn't it? That's full. And that's the life Christ offers. That's why your inevitable faith crisis is worth it. Let's pray. Father, you know the ways, you know our path, you know when we rise and when we go down, you're acquainted with all our ways. 
I'm sure someone is within the sound of my voice right now who is in the middle of an F7 crisis. That is challenging their belief system. And I pray that today, they just hear that today they can, they can just trust today. Maybe some certainty is what keeps them going. A certainty like he works all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose that they might be conformed to be more like Jesus. That they hear the music of the beauty of grace. That you love us when we're lost. You love us when we're up. You love us when we're down. That you leave the 99 to search out the one. That's beautiful. And songs have been written about that. And you get us moving. That all the joys and the pains of our life become all redemptive into getting out our towel and basin and saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Send me. Make me your servant. That all that I do is to bring honor to you and heaven to earth. And that will be worth it. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week.